Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I, of course, am your host, Drew Creaseman. Always excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you. And what a Saturday of Rockies baseball it was. A doubleheader of uh, epic proportions. Why not? I'll, I'll go with it. I'll say that it was a doubleheader of epic proportions because in the first game, the Colorado Rockies get absolutely trounced as the Tigers make some history. Obviously, the biggest part of it being the 3,000th hit in the career of Miguel Cabrera. Uh, always exciting when you get to see something like that. Weird and fun and interesting and everybody everywhere pointing out that it's like the fourth time that's happened the, against the Colorado Rockies. You got Ricky Henderson, Craig Biggio, Ichiro Suzuki. I was there at Coors Field for that one. And now you've got Miguel Cabrera getting his 3,000th hit against the Rockies. So that happened. And then that whole game got completely away from the team. They end up losing 13 to nothing in their first true clunker of the season. A lot of it was just super bizarre. You're going to have five or six of those games throughout the year. Yeah. Some of it was, you know, the relievers who came in really didn't pitch. Well, I didn't feel like Sensatella had a truly terrible game. His defense didn't do him any favors. Uh, that first inning really was super wonky with them getting four runs when they very easily could have gotten zero. But beyond that, when you lose 13 to nothing, you really do just have to shake it off, shower it off, whatever it is, and and forget about it. All you can do is forget about it, and it looks like the Colorado Rockies did just that because they bounce back in the nightcap. They win the game 3-2 to two behind home runs from Connor Joe and Charlie Blackman, a fantastic outing by Austin Gomber, who was definitely in need of one, and good enough from the bullpen, right? Let's start, let's go ahead and begin there. Uh, some interesting, you know, we had this conversation going on in the Discord channel that, that I do as it was happening. People talking about, you know, wh- why is Alex Colomay here in this spot? Where's Daniel Bard? What, what's going on? And remember that the, the Rockies never actually officially named a closer for the season. Bud Black actually said a couple of times during spring training that they were going to be doing closer by committee. And we're not used to that. And, you know, we had seen Daniel Bard get the first several opportunities. But I think this was really just part of that, that they said, you know, uh, maybe with Colomay's experience on the road, you know, maybe his lack of experience at Coors Field, whatever it was, maybe it's matchups that they felt like his cutter happened to match up well against these Tigers hitters, which I think proved to be true. What was super bizarre to me was that, and I get that he he was he didn't have his absolute best command with it. He walked a guy on four pitches. That, to me, was the worst part of the inning for him there. Uh, then, for whatever reason, he went away from his bread and butter in the key at bat there at the end and threw a four-seam fastball that was basically piped right down the middle. The Tigers get a two-run double with two outs. And, or I'm sorry, a triple, actually. He got to third base. So you've got the tying run at third all of a sudden where the Rockies had been up all game. Pretty much, uh, they'd been up 3-0 since the third inning, right? And you go, oh man, one more bad pitch here. It's a tie game or even worse, the Tigers are walking this thing off. But Colomay, very calm, very collected. He's got a lot of saves in his career. Just three pitches, went right back to his cutter. They were all cutters. Went three cutters to the next hitter. Three pitch strikeout, ball game. Right. So, you know, we were having this conversation again and and it's back and forth. And this one kind of falls in that middle ground. But you cannot count it as a bullpen implosion because he didn't blow the game and he got the final out. He still technically secured the save and it'd make you feel good. Our guy will 
good time, long time uh, Colorado Rockies fan who's here in the spaces as we're talking, always hanging out. But, you know, compared it to, to Brian Fuentes, who's the best closer in Rockies history, but kind of had that knack for right putting runners on and then and then wriggling out of it. You don't feel good about it. You don't love it. You, you know, Bob Steve, our guy Robert Stevenson, had a very similar inning before that, right? Got the, let the first two guys get on. But here's the thing. When we talk about bullpens and relievers, and particularly this Rockies bullpen, it'd be great to see clean innings up and down all the time. We'd all love that. They'd love that. That's not a reasonable expectation. It's not reasonable to expect a zero ERA out of any individual reliever or out of your bullpen. And it's not reasonable to expect a zero whip, right? Or that every time that runners get on, it's only going to be a two out double that then they get the next guy, right? Like there's going to be traffic. You're going to have a minute where you lose command of pitches. You're going to come in a little bit cold, which is what I think happened to Stevenson. He came into the game. He didn't have his command quite yet, but he locked into it. He worked into it. And by the time he was finishing the inning, he had it. And that's why he was able to get the big strikeout to end the inning. Over the course of the season, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're going to give up hits. You're going to walk guys you shouldn't. You're going to have a four-pitch walk. And you're going to give up runs. What's going to make the difference and what made the difference today, and, and this is a huge key win in this nightcap game, is not letting those moments get away from you to the extent that they cost you the ball game. And they didn't. Stevenson finished out his inning. Colome finished out his and got the save. And like I said, I know I know there are a lot of people that are clinching and and gritting their teeth and going, oh man, okay, go back to Bard. You can't you can't have Colome back in there again. But don't forget the skill that it takes, the mental fortitude that it takes to have just given up that hit, to be staring as a right-handed pitcher directly at the tying run, standing there on third base, and say, no, 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 I just made a mistake. It was a bad mistake both in terms of the decision of the pitch that he threw. I don't like the choice to throw a four-seamer with the game on the line. And the execution of it is a bad pitch, right? So you made two mistakes there, and all of a sudden, you're on the brink of blowing the ball game. And it would be really easy for a younger pitcher who doesn't have the experience to beat themselves up over that, to hang their head, to throw one more bad pitch, watch it go over the wall, and watch the ball game go into the loss column. But column A, calm, cool, collected column A. Slow as hell. Reminds you of Raphael Betancourt all the way through to the cutter being his signature pitch, right? But he got out of it on three really good cutters, and he saved the ball game. So you gotta you gotta tip your cap to that because there are a lot of guys who wouldn't be able to do that. And over the course of the season, you can't just be going next guy, next guy, next guy. Every single one of these relievers has to be able to figure out those types of things. That's part of why Bud Black left Lucas Gilbreth in the game when he did in that first one. And Gilbreth wasn't able to get out of it, given several opportunities, not even caring if they scored another run or two. But once you get to four or five and the guy's at 35 pitches, you just have to go and get him, right? So Gilbreth couldn't finish his inning, given kind of an endless leash. But, you know, that that's a huge difference. So that's why I do talk about implosions when it comes to the bullpen. People think that, well, that's an awfully low bar that you're setting. And it's a very important difference between your bullpen imploding and your bullpen bending a little bit. 
your bullpen not being perfect because they're not going to be. It would have been nice to see the shutout. The mirror images of the Rockies losing 13 to nothing and then winning 3 to nothing would have been hilarious. It's still hilarious that they got beat so bad. I even tweeted out, you know, I think I tweeted this out when the Rockies were down 9 nothing in the first game. I said the Rockies are going to lose this game like 13 to nothing and then they're going to come back and win the nightcap because baseball's hilarious because it's difficult to sweep doubleheaders and because as the old saying goes in baseball, Momentum is the next day's starting pitcher. And as it turned out, as soon as the Rockies got Austin Gomber on the hill and the Tigers had to go to a rookie making his major league debut, who, you know, sometimes that's been really difficult on the Rockies, but this kid's stuff just wasn't the sharpest today. He was pretty good. He was some pretty good stuff and the Rockies struggled at times, but they were obviously able to get him for the two big shots, Connor Joe and this, this is hilarious too, right? So the Rockies go nine innings of getting absolutely smashed. Had some opportunities, a couple of bases inning opportunities, uh, bases loaded opportunities in, in game one, but no runs, right? Shut out. First at bat of the second game, Connor Joe goes deep on the board. I love it. It's baseball. Come on. How can you not be romantic about baseball? That stuff is hilarious. So Connor Joe goes deep gets you on the board immediately you feel like okay you've got the bad taste of that first game out of your mouth how about connor joe for your colorado rockies this year as a trendsetter as a momentum setter as an energy producer is just a guy you can count on to have a good at bat all the things and he keeps doing it you know he was as bad as anybody in game one but to go out there and set that kind of tone to hit that home run in the first at bat and it wasn't even like on a big mistake pitch he went down and got that thing and pulled it out through some pretty brutal wind and got a got a real like real strong boy home run. That was a big boy, big beefy boy, strong boy homer, and that was that was impressive to see out of Connor Joe. And Charlie Blackman turns out he's not dead. Man, people tried to bury this guy, and it's a reminder again that you know I, I've said this before, and it's worth repeating again right here, right now, in this particular part of the conversation that the. Strongest bias in sports is not homerism, and it's not haterade, and it's not anti a certain team or umpires or any of that stuff. It's recency bias. Recency bias is the strongest bias in sports. We tend to believe that what we are seeing and if something, and it's tough in baseball because you, if you watch something for two straight weeks, it every single day, 14 games and a guy just can't hit, and you go, this dude sucks. You know, but 14 games is nothing. It just It's just weird in this sport that we love so much, right? And then you very much can turn around and still have a phenomenal season with 14 terrible games on your resume. Or four or five, as Charlie had. And and so, but but I get it. We read the trends. We, we, we look at the age. We, we say, you know, Maybe he's losing it, but this is why, you know, I'm sitting in here in my office and, and we're all out there, you know, and, and Bud Black has the job that he does because there's those little things and and those little intuitions and and the little bits of mechanics that, that you've got to see. And yeah, sometimes it comes down to the trust of the ball player and saying, I'm going to keep putting Charlie Blackman in, even though he didn't start out great. 
And even though some fans or some media are starting to ask me about Charlie Blackman's numbers, he's going to have the same attitude about Brendan Rodgers. Bench him. Get rid of him. Send him to AAA. And he's going to go, you know, I'm going to continue to put him in there to an extent. I mean, Rodgers is, is struggling quite a bit more, right? But you can break out of it. And to see what Charlie Blackman has done, to see him go down and get that curveball, rip it over the wall uh, for what ended up being a game-winning home run. You know, it's in the third inning, but it still counts. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, it's the decisive factor in the game, right? Beautiful home run. Classic Charlie Blackman swing. And we remember that he can still do it. That the old man, he's my age for crying out loud, that the old man has still got it. And that's been really cool to see because this team is going to need him too. This team is going to need everybody. And and that's part of the reason why I do pump my brakes, especially this time of year with anybody who's struggling. And I get it, folks. I, I understand the flip side of it, which is that this team's going to need all the wins they can get, right? You can't be punting any games. And that's, that's true. You know, you, you got, you got at some point, recognize the reality of things like the first game of this doubleheader where you, you can't be killing yourself trying to get back in that one. Like you, you start resting your veterans at one point, like they did, you know, things like that. You're not throwing your plus side bullpen guys, things like that. But ultimately I understand the people are saying, you know, Trejo's taking good at bats, get him in there. Rogers is basically an automatic out. Um, you know, a few other people, this, this reliever or that reliever has struggled a little bit, send him down, bring up the next guy. But the fact of the matter is that over the marathon of this season, and, and even if we do just limit it to this season, they're going to need all of these guys. Like people who were saying, you know, I, I was getting asked earlier in the year, should the Rockies be looking into trading Charlie Blackman or, or benching him or, or, or even DFAing him? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. We, there are several steps before we get there. One would be just batting him eighth, right? <laughs> like that's a step before you're, you're DFAing Charlie Blackman. And obviously, you know, based on what he's done now, we're not really talking about that with him anymore. Yeah, I think you just leave him in the middle of the order because he's going hot right now. Uh, I saw a stat out there somewhere that over the last like 35 plate appearances, he's hitting over 300, you know, slugging doing the the Charlie Blackman thing. So you leave him where he is. But it's a a good reminder that there's a lot of of steps between, hey, this guy's in a slump, and hey, we got to get him off the team. They're going to need every single one of them. They need Charlie Blackman. They're going to need Brendan Rodgers at some point. Then right now they're lucky that they don't. Right now the good news is that Brendan Rodgers can go through this, and the team is still off to a nice start here. They're, you know, they're going to need Ryan McMahon to have his big games, and he hasn't really had any huge games yet. They're going to need production out of guys like Sam Hilliard and Dom Nunez, who's had a really nice start to the season um, all of a sudden, really because these last couple of games he's hit pretty well, and he had another good game today. Good at-bats, good job behind the plate, stuff like that. Really good work with Austin Gomber, right? And so, and and there's another guy the Rockies are absolutely going to need. And, and that's, of course, the funny thing that as we sit here, and this is probably the biggest reminder of what a small sample size we're still in right now with the Rockies at nine and five, the best part of the team and or the most important part of the team remains the starting pitching. And we haven't seen a ton of it yet. We've seen one really good outing from Marquez 
and now we've seen one really good outing from Austin Gomber. But there's more of that in there. There's quite a bit more of that to come from this group. And that, for me, is the biggest thing. That's the most interesting thing about how the rest of these pieces move around and why I don't want the Rockies to start, you know, getting dramatic with anybody, with with anything that happens. I understand that there's a, a roster crunch coming, and so some decisions are going to have to be made. You know, it's probably going to be two pitchers because you can only have 13 pitchers on your roster once they have to go from 28 back down to 26 at the end of the month. But the, I, you can't bury any of these guys. Because they're not a team full of stars, everyone has to contribute, which means everyone has to be given an opportunity to contribute and that's why I think that Bud Black has done a really good job, and, and his staff, of course, have, have done a really good job so far in the season of making sure that, like, Sam Hilliard's getting enough at-bats, that Alan Trejo's getting in there because he is hitting. But you can't bury Brendan Rodgers, so you got to get him in there because you know he's a big part of your future one way or the other. That Jonathan Daza has been able to get a few at-bats here and there, another base hit today. He's got, it's doing well with the stick, but most importantly, that they keep using him as a defensive replacement in the ninth inning or the eighth inning, they keep bringing him in and having Blackman or sometimes Bryant, usually Blackman come out. And he almost snagged that ball in the gap today and, and saved column a from having given up any runs whatsoever. Right. So they're doing that. They're, they're, they're playing it all right in my mind, you know, for the long haul, of course, things are going to come up, uh, you know, everyone knock on wood for all this stuff, but you know, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be slumps. There's going to be whatever. And that's another reason why you don't want to just bury somebody who's come out struggling a little bit, but if Gilbreth continues to, to not have it, I think you can send him down to the minors. The presence of uh, tie block allows you to do that. And the fact that the, there is a three batter minimum, which has made the need for having lefties in your bullpen a little bit less. You know, you don't see too many lineups that just go left, left, left. So, you know, the, there's a couple tough guys in there. But as much as anything, the Rockies have actually been decent at finding some right-handed relievers who are good at getting lefties out. That's another thing they really liked about Colome and I've always enjoyed about his uh, resume is that with his cutter, he has pretty good numbers against left-handed hitters. And... So you don't always necessarily need a left-on-left guy, especially because the loogie is a thing of the past, right? But Gilbreth is somebody who's obviously not having a good start to the season. If he has another rough outing, I think he's in line potentially for the roster crunch. Uh, you know, I've talked before about how Justin Lawrence, despite the fact that he's pitched very well to start the season, might go down to AAA just so that he can get more regular work and pick up save opportunities and get used to pitching in the high pressure ninth inning situation, get used to getting the final out of a game, stuff like that. Um, because right now I actually don't know. I, I thought it was going to be, you know, send down Alan Trejo. I thought that was going to be obvious when he made the team he was. And, and I think if you got anybody, you know, any of the coaches, managers or, or Alan uh, off the record in a moment of honesty and said, you know, who was the 28th guy on the rock? Who was the, the guy who honestly probably, almost certainly would not have made this team if the rosters weren't expanded. And Trejo's probably that guy, right? Because they had Garrett Hampson there to back up your middle infield positions 
and there's a lot of belief in Rodgers in your future, right? But now Trejo is hit. Uh, you know, he's looked shakier on defense, which is weird because he's been very good defensively throughout his minor league career. But I think Trejo, you know, represents a really interesting kind of floor for this team and, and why I think they're going to continue to hang around and be pretty solid because you've got guys like that contributing and he's not going to be a star. And Dom Nunez isn't going to be a star, right? And Elias Diaz isn't going to be a star, but they're going to keep contributing to your baseball team and, and finding new ways to win games like this. Now the Rockets have the opportunity to go back out there in game three on Sunday. And if they win, continue their streak of having not lost a series yet so far in 2022. Going to be a fascinating one. Rockies will send Chad Cool hot off one of the best starts of his career. Honestly, certainly his best start with the Rockies. Out there against another young lefty. Um, and Tyler Alexander, who's got a 426 ERA on the season so far. Uh, another one of these lefties that the Rockies haven't really seen before. Uh, again, we've talked about the road hangover effect still in this win. They only get the three runs, and, th- and that's what I'm talking about. Look, this is the formula for winning on the road. A couple of key home runs and pitch your asses off. You know, the first game got away from them, obviously, and you, you, you kick that one down the road, you forget about it as fast as you can. It's one of 162. That's what, that's what you've got to do mentally, right? But game two, that's the formula you want to repeat as often as possible because history just tells us the Rockies are not going to score six or seven or eight runs on the road. Certainly not with any kind of regularity. Every once in a while, maybe, but they're not going to do that. They almost can't, right? But you can get your home runs and you can get your good pitching. Defense needs to tighten it up a bit in those instances, though, as well. Defense is, is a major factor when when that's going on. And, and any kind of defensive mistake could very easily have cost them this game, this nightcap. Very easily, right? But it didn't. And as such, the pitching and power manifesto worked in this one. Couple homers. Great games from your pitchers. Go out and win the series if you can Sunday. Starting in the morning for us Colorado people at 11 o'clock. What is it? 11.10? I love it when baseball games start in the morning. That's always fun. Uh, But, yeah, I'll be right there with you, and we'll we'll wrap it up after that and see what's going on. But you got to be proud of the way the Colorado Rockies bounced back after getting absolutely smashed in the first game to just come out and get a very solid win with their formula and their style. And, and even with the dramatics at the end, you know, even with the fireworks at the end, uh, we've talked before about the feel of a game that the Rockies of the last two or three years would have lost. And, you know, this one didn't have that right till the end. Right. And I'm sure, 70%, 70%, 80, 90 to 125% of Rockies fans thought as soon as those two runs came in in the bottom of the ninth, oh, they're going to lose this one. Right? They're going to blow this. But they didn't. Weird, right? They keep they keep doing that. They keep showing us like the the images, like mirages of Rockies past. <laughs> and then 
and then just not doing it. Unless you count game one, where they totally let everything get away from them. But as we've said, again, anybody who watches baseball knows that five or six times a year, you're just going to have a baseball game that just, you're not going to win it. (laughs) You're going to lose by a lot. And you might as well just stop playing in the seventh and call it good and let everyone go home and get their orange slices because it's just it's a waste of everybody's time at some point. But really, really good way to bounce back mentally. So I'm going to do a, quest, uh, a couple of questions here on the spaces, but wrap up the podcast. So those of you listening to the podcast, make sure you're following on Twitter at Drew Creaseman so you can join the spaces and ask some questions if you're interested in joining the conversation and maybe sliding into the DMs to join the Discord channel. Other than that, just make sure you're listening to and reading everything at milehighsports.com and the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. You keep being absolutely awesome out there. I will keep being absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.